Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by copywriting and direct marketing legend Drayton Bird. With two partners, he set up what became Britain's largest direct marketing agency, which he sold to Ogilvy & Mather in January 1985. By 2003, the Chartered Institute of Marketing had named Drayton Bird one of 50 living individuals who have shaped today's marketing. His book, Common Sense Direct and Digital Marketing, now in 17 languages, has been the UK's bestseller on the subject every year since 1982. That's 34 years as of this recording. My favorite quote from his book is, the purpose of business is to locate a prospect, turn them into a customer, and then make that customer a friend. He has two other fantastic books available online, How to Write Sales Letters That Sell, and 51 Helpful Marketing Ideas. David Ogilvy once said, Drayton Bird knows more about direct marketing than anyone in the world. As a result, he has spoken in 53 countries for many organizations. These include American Express, Audi, Bentley, British Airways, Cisco, Dutch Post, Ford, IBM, McKinsey, Mercedes, Microsoft, Nestle, Philips, Procter & Gamble, Toyota, Unilever, Visa, and Volkswagen. He is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, one of the first eight honorary fellows of the Institute of Direct Marketing, and one of the first three people named to the Hall of Fame of the Direct Marketing Association of India. He has also been given Lifetime Achievement Awards by the Caples Organization in New York and Early to Rise in Florida. Today, we are very fortunate to have him here. Please join me in a round of applause. Drayton, thank you for your time and your attention. How are you doing, my friend? Well, you know, I, at my age, I wake up in the morning and I, I reach for a mirror and I breathe on it. And if I can see anything there, I realize I'm still alive. <laughs> That's right. Every day above ground is a good one, right? Absolutely. That's right. That's excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, you've had such a such a such a dec well decorated career. You've done so much, and for you, some things that might be really basic for other people would be old hat. But I, one thing that I think some people who are listening they may have even heard of your books, they might know your name, but I know they probably have no idea how you even got into marketing because, like, I don't even know. Do you come from a family of marketers? Do you have is entrepreneurship big in your family before you? How did you even get started in business? Like, where did it all begin? Well, my parents owned a pub outside Manchester, which was very successful. And from a very early age, uh, I used to go into the bar and talk to people. And I, got, I was very interested in the way people behave and why they do the things they do. Um, and in particular, this pub was very strange in in that the clientele was divided into two types. There were very wealthy people on one side of the, the bar. They had different bars with different prices. And on the other side, they had very down-to-earth working folk. And so I was always mingling with two different types of people. 
And on top of that, uh, I was sent away to private schools, quite expensive schools. But when I was at home, this, the area where the pub was was a very poor area, very industrial area. So I was immediately confronted with two or three things. Um, encountering a wide variety of people, doing so in a situation where they were unguarded because people are unguarded when they drink. And also being brought up by two very entrepreneurial individuals. I mean, they, they had a, they opened a restaurant at the time when pubs didn't have restaurants. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. They understood how to deal with people and they worked like hell. So that somewhere played off. My grandfather, actually, both my grandfathers were in business. One of them was a salesman, a uh, very successful salesman, and the other one was, um, used to travel around the world selling stuff. So a bit of selling in the blood. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write. Um, I got a scholarship to Manchester University, uh, and at the end of the first year, I thought it was a waste of time, and I remember turning to my Spanish oral lady who was giving me an examination, who said in Spanish, obviously, que le gusta la universidad? And I said, no, me gusta much, mucho. Uh, how do you like the university? And I said, not very much. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to leave. <laughs> she said, you're not serious. I said, yes, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave now. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be a writer, because that's what I always wanted to do, to write. Okay. So I got a job um, working for a small magazine as assistant editor, and from that day to this, and we're talking of, I think, over 60 years. No, but just under 60 years, uh, I've written for a living. Um, so that was that was how I got into writing. And then I was making no money. <laughs> and a friend of mine who was very well connected uh, said, uh, you'd do well in advertising. Um, I didn't know anything about advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it was there. <laughs> you know, right. I haven't thought about it very much. And I went to the library in Manchester, which is where I was brought up, and I read all the books on advertising in an evening, because there were only two, I think. I read both of them. <laughs> and when I finally got into advertising, which took me six months of patient endeavour, lying, half-truth, uh, kissing people's hearts, <laughs> right, right. um discovered to my astonishment that hardly anybody studied. And the one constant thing that I've noticed from that day to this, if we in- include marketing and advertising together, lump them together, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of people do not study. They mm. know what they're doing. And I- I'm not making this up. Um, there was a, there is an organisation um, which does nothing else but uh, measure the results and study what's going on in worldwide marketing. And about 18 months ago, they, they did a report on marketing, senior marketing executives. And it's emerged that most of them do not know or even consider it's important to know return on investment in marketing. That sounds incredible, but it's true. Yeah, that sounds blasphemous because I'm 
for whatever reason, I guess just great mentors. Yeah, it's all about ROI. It's all about ROI. Well, they they really don't. Um, and if you look at the kind of stuff that goes on, you realise that uh, they're not measuring. That's that's why you see so much absolute rubbish. Um, why so many emails that are stupid? Why you see so many commercials that are right. make clever but don't sell? Why you see so many ads, particularly ads? I would say there is a there's been a decline in the quality of advertising since I came into the business. Um, Back in 1958, I think it was. That's a huge statement to say that, like, that it's getting worse. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a reason for this, um, and it's to do with the the way in which media have changed. So when I started, the chief medium was print advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, the television then, which was only just emerging at that time uh-huh. in this country anyhow um, there was direct mail uh-huh. but, but uh, which was considered beneath contempt <laughs> <laughs> the lowest of the low you didn't go into a bar and sort of people ask you what you do you say I oh, write direct mail fuck off <laughs> uh, <yeah, yeah. laughs> so what's happened since then of course is the rise of the internet uh-huh. Um which is fascinating, and which are where I do nearly all my own business today. Mm. Um, and so bright minds have tended to gravitate to this new medium, um, and they have not studied uh, what works in advertising and what doesn't. Right. Um, so I think it's declined, I really do, definitely. I mean, I could bore forever on the subject. Well, no, but I don't think it's a bore because I, I think I agree. I mean, for myself, um, I mean, I'm not, I don't even, I'm on my way to trying to, you know, be in a class that you're in, but I'm nowhere near that. But I've had, you know, some multi-million dollar successful campaigns on the Internet, and I feel like with the Internet, it's so easy for anyone to get up and running. There's a lot of people, it's almost because it's so easy, they don't think about what they're doing. That was something that I really gleaned. So for, for the people listening, I first even was introduced to Drayton by one of my mentors, Ken McCarthy, um, who was the first one to ever teach how to market on the Internet. And the focus on direct mail, the focus on copywriting, the focus on understanding that, like, the, what a privilege it is to be able to put stuff online in the way that we do, I think allowed me to come to it with a different set of eyes because I think since it's so easy for you to post stuff on Twitter and to go on Facebook and make an ad that there's no thought into that. It's not the same as if you were about to spend 10 grand to put these few thousand letters in the mail and this letter has to make, you know, like all you have are these pages of paper to get your money back. Um, you think of it a lot differently than if you're just putting an ad and sending it to someone to a, to a you know, to a web page. It's very easy, but the, well, the great advantage of the internet, actually, curiously enough, you mentioned Ken. Ken got into marketing because he read a book that I wrote. Uh, he was sitting in the New York Public Library and he read the book you mentioned, Common Sense Direct Marketing, which was the, the title at that time. Somewhere I've got a, a video of him saying, oh, this is how I got into it. He was introducing me. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> the thing is that um, if you go about it correctly, online marketing will force you to do the right thing. Um, the reason why most advertising is bad, apart from the 
the, the ones that I've given, is that uh, people don't measure. And they don't measure partly because it hasn't occurred to them to measure, and they, they don't measure because nobody's told them to measure, and they don't measure because, it's, because it doesn't seem very easy. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, one of the great things about Google, AdWords in particular, mm-hmm. if you had to succeed, uh, it's almost like a tool. It's a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> if, you don't do, if you don't do the right things, yep. Google will punish you. Yes. Uh, but more to the point, um, one is able to do things that were never possible. I mean, for instance, when I started writing, uh, the f- I can remember the first five or six, five jobs I ever did in advertising. Um, I had to write advertisements. I had to write something for a salesman to go around. I had to write a piece of direct mail. All very different. <clears throat> Only one of them was actually measured properly, which was the piece of direct mail. But with Google, if you don't measure and learn and improve, you're, all you're doing is throwing dollars up against the wall. Yep. Um, and it makes. Let's take let's take the medium that I really specialised in, which was direct mail. Mm-hmm. Now it would have been impossible. I would have dreamt it was marvellous if I could have sat behind somebody as they opened their direct mail, and if I if some miraculous process had enabled me to see where their eyes went. Mm-hmm. what they looked at, how long they looked at it, what interested them, what got a reaction, uh, how they replied, if they replied, and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, with Google, and well, the sort, not, not Google in particular, but with what's going on in the various uh, tools that are available to you today, yes. you can see where people go on your website, you can see how long they stay there, you can see when they go, uh, you can see everything. That's a marvellous, marvellous thing. It's uh, a that's climbing into somebody's brain almost, you know. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's even, you mentioned, like, the Internet, that's something a lot of people don't even realize as well. They talk about keyword research, and that word, that term is thrown around so casually, but you're literally reading people's thoughts. Like, someone goes to Google, they're alone in their private home where they feel safe and comfortable, and they go, okay, Google, and they type their thoughts into that, something they may not feel comfortable saying to another person, to another human, to a sales rep. They just put it in there. And, like, you know, you have the chance to put your ad in front of someone who's thinking that thought at that exact moment, which is a really powerful, powerful thing. But a lot of people, they just don't get it, and they, they take it for granted. And I love what you said about being able to understand the sales letter because that's something I think is so overlooked. There's a great tool. Um, I have no association with the company, but it's just such a great tool. It's called Hot. Jar, H-O-T-J-A-R, and it's like you can anyone can sign up for free, and right off the bat with a free account, you get, I think, two or 500 tracked visits, and you can do things called heat maps. So if you put your sales letter onto a page, onto a single web page, this code would track without affecting your load time. It would track how far people scroll down your letter. It'll track which parts they stay scrolled over longer. 
Um, <laughs> it tracks the mouse movement and where their mouse will go during the like during their session, where they click, and where the mouse usually is, the eyes follow. So you talked about being able to see that letter. That's actually something that we do sometimes with people's sales letters. Is we'll put something like that on on the page, send some traffic there, and then we go and we look after we've had a few hundred visitors, and we take all the stuff people have moused over or clicked on, and all the dark stuff, like all the thing that's gotten no attention, we actually get rid of the stuff that's gotten no attention. We move everything that's getting a lot of attention up, you know, and we try to replace and make it better. I mean, that on its own is huge, right? Like you said, to be able to see that with your letter, because how much would it cost to send out a couple of thousand uh, letters, like back when you first started? I don't know. Um, a few hundred quid, you know, not yeah. a lot of money. But, but it was a lot of money in the context of, of what's happened to money. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. And then there's all the preparation, and you just spend it, and you have no idea, no you, you, data, I, no nothing. When I, when I was running the American Express account around the world, um, we, used, we would spend – it would take six weeks – to prepare something to go out and to send it out, um, and then you'd then you'd have to wait another six weeks to be pretty sure of how well it had done. Mm. But you had no idea until you ran it, until you tested it, how well it had done, and you weren't always sure why it had done as well as or badly as it was. You know, it was a, mm. they tested everything. They used to test everything. You know, we had I think fifty offices around the world, so. This is Ogilvy and May because my, I'm, the job I ended up doing was worldwide creative um, director of what was Ogilvy and May, the director, and it's now called Ogilvy One. Um, and I, in theory, I sat on the board, <laughs> the, Ogilvy, the Ogilvy group, uh, which really consisted of going to nice places and sitting around. It sounds <laughs> like a terrible life. Terrible. terrible. No, well, it was actually boring. Um, it wasn't boring going to to some of the places we went to. I remember we went to Brazil, to Sao Paulo one day, and we arrived there. <laughs> and they just devalued the currency. So we couldn't get any money. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> also, it was quite a dangerous place because uh, one of my colleagues got robbed literally 10, ten yards from the entrance to his hotel. Oh, no. But... Yeah, it, 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 trying to work out what worked and what didn't work was a real problem then. I mean, we used to do, back in the 1965, my first creative director's job, um, I can remember we did some work with eye cameras. And an eye camera could do, in the old way, what you can do now very quickly on the internet. You could see uh, where people's eyes went and how long they stayed there. So that's how I learned. Uh, where was the best place to put a headline? Um, mm. How guys moved around? What did what happened when they looked at pictures and so on? And what's weird is that the media have changed, developed, but the principles have not. Mm. There are things that, for instance, if you've got a picture, never have a picture without a caption, mm. because we. We are trained as children by the way we learn to read. read. We're, we're shown a picture and we look at the caption to see what it is. It shows a picture of a dog and it says dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. so these sorts of things haven't changed, you know, and they never will change. It, 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 it's all a continuous thing from, 
from then till now. I mean, I have a website which is the has the very original title of DraytonBird.com, <laughs> <laughs> and on the top right hand side there is a picture of me, um, which is a shame. Um, but <laughs> why is the picture there? Because I know that uh, when people see somebody's face, uh, they look. They look because we're trying to look at faces from when we're babies. Mm-hmm. Now, underneath the, the the picture, there's a caption, and the caption. Well, I'm not even looking at it now, but it says something like, "Get this free book and get 51 helpful marketing ideas." Um, what, why is it there? It's there on the top right because I know that's a good place to put it. It's got my face because I know people look at people's faces. It's got a caption because I know people read captions. It's got an offer that's free because I know people like free offers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually got two offers. Um, and that, in fact, is the way that I run part of my business. That's all based upon what's on that website, yeah? Um, so everything on that website is, is based upon things that I've known for a long time, but which are applied to online. Yeah, and, and it's the same. Sorry. No, no. By all means, go go ahead. Well, it's the same uh, with pretty much everything I do. Um, people say to me things like, "How do you? Well, you know, you're used to writing direct mail or you're used to writing advertisements. How do you write an email?" And I just say, right, same, same way same I used way. to write them. All I'm thinking about is, well, we know that eight out of ten people never go beyond the headline in an advertisement. Mm. So as David Ogilvy put it, once you've written the headline, you've spent 80% of your money. money. Right, <laughs> yeah? right, 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 right. So I'm writing emails. Um, I'm, my first thought is, what do I say in the subject line. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think about, yeah? Yeah. So we ran one yesterday um, about uh, to do with the effectiveness of email. And this idea was given to me by a guy that I work with, believe it or not, in Bulgaria, who does it very well in the States. Okay. <laughs> I've, tra- I've trained him a bit. Um, and he found this research from Harvard, and he'd written something, and... So I said to one of my guys, said, oh, do you think we should use this? And I said, yeah. And then he wrote something, and he sent it to me, and this is the way I, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> and he said, what do you think? I'm sort of a glorified creative director. Um, and I just wrote back, and I said, you are mad not to use the word Harvard in your headline, you know, because, because I know the things that work. I know that if I, if I put the words how-to at the beginning of a subject line, that subject line is probably going to do at least 25% better than if I didn't have the words how to at the beginning. Yeah? Mm. It's, it's, all, it's all based upon things I learned years ago. And I never think to myself, oh, I'm writing an email. <laughs> right. I just think, what, what, how can I bring the subject of what I want them to pay attention to, to the people that, I want to pay attention. The whole process of marketing involves just two things. It involves what you are selling and who you are selling to. And you have to spend, I would say, 90% of your time thinking, who am I selling to because that's where the money comes from 
And why would they want what I'm selling? Because that's how I'm going to take the money off them. Yeah? Mm, mm, mm. Um, so that's all I'm thinking. I, 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 I did a, a, some speech. I did a speech in the Ritz in London, which is a rather smart hotel. Uh, somebody, a very smart guy got me. He said, will you come and answer questions at the Ritz? He said, well, you know, I'll give you lunch and blah, blah. I said, all right. <laughs> so I went there and I didn't realise he'd got 50 odd people there and I was going to stand there for two hours answering questions <laughs> that I'd never heard before. <laughs> Surprise! And it, um, the, the first thing they said was, um, so um, do you think that customers are led by the marketing uh, material and I sort of roared with laughter and I said what, what are you talking about I said, I said you, only a lunatic wakes up in the morning and says I know what I'm going to do today the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to sit and I'm going to read all through the emails that are sent to me because that's such fun Right. and when I've done that I think I'll have a look at the ads in the newspapers Right. and when I've done that I think I'll spend the morning looking at all the commercials nobody gives a flying hoot about what you're selling. Your job is to make sure that somehow you can say something in that message, and in the case of email, right at the very beginning of the message, that they cannot ignore, that says, that has three elements normally in it. It has the element of benefit, what's in it for me, and it has the element of humanity, how can I make it human so that it's me talking to you, and the third element, which makes a huge difference, is the element of surprise. Mm. That's why you see, all over the internet, you will see lots and lots of messages which use the phrase, phrase like weird trick. Yes, yeah? I've seen that. So the thing. What are people thinking? They're thinking, oh, it's weird, oh, it's unusual, yeah? Right. And secondly, it's a trick, so it must be easy, yeah? why that sort of line works, yeah? So you're always thinking, how can I make it surprising? How can I make it relevant? How, how can I make it easy as a benefit, yeah? And it doesn't matter what the communication is. I do, I spend a month, an hour every month making videos. And the reason I spend an hour every month making videos is because I sell the videos. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, uh, if uh, anybody goes on to the, the thing that I mentioned where it says get, get 51 helpful marketing ideas and get this free book, um, the next thing that will happen to them, because this is the sequence of marketing. The, the, all mar I was thinking about this the other day. Marketing has not ever changed. Not good marketing, yeah? Okay. So, for instance, in 1912, uh, they launched uh, Pepsodent Toothpaste. Yeah? And the, the benefit, the headline was, those pearly smiles, yeah? picture of a girl, smiling face. That's the benefit. Yeah? Right. On the top right hand, it says, free sample. Yeah? Right. And on the bottom right hand side, it says, clip the coupon now, free sample. What were they doing? They were offering a benefit and saying, here's something free for you. Right. So that was being done by a man called Claude Hopkins. He's the man who wrote the book that I give away for nothing, which is called Scientific Advertising. Yep, Claude Hopkins. Yeah. Read that book. I think I've read that book eight times. David said he had to read at least seven. <laughs> I mean, I still read it. I must have read it 20 times. Uh, David Ogilvy said that nobody should have anything to do with the business of advertising until they've read this book at least seven times. Yeah. 
So, but what was he doing? He was doing exactly the same thing as I was doing on my, as I do on my website. Right. I get this free book, get these free ideas. And then what do you do? What you're trying to do in marketing is to create a relationship with the people you're talking to. That relationship with the objective that they will stay with you for a long time. So what happens to the people? This is my, I'm, I'm revealing how I make money. Okay, mm -hmm. one of the ways. Mm -hmm. But everyone can, this is the way it's done. Um, so they get something free. So if you get something free, after a while, I will send, I'll keep sending you stuff once every two or three days. I'll give you free ideas. And then you start to think, hey, this guy's not entirely stupid. This is very helpful. Right. <laughs> or maybe you don't. I don't know. A lot of people do. Okay. So I've over the last, um, I think, four or five years, I've got about 50,000 people that have signed up. Now, obviously, they come and they go. That's right. the other thing you have to accept. Yep. People come and they go out of your, you know, your yep. business. Yep. Nobody's in love with you forever. Right now, I've got about 26,000 who've been around since that. You know, some have been around. Some have, There are people, I was talking to my guy today, and he said, do you know, he said, we're still getting sales. We're still getting money in from people who signed up three years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, how does this happen? It's happened because after a while, I say to people, okay, did you like the helpful ideas? Um, would you like... To know a little bit more. Would you like me to help you? Yeah? Mm -hmm. And so if you've got any problems, you can ask me, get my answer. You, know? mm -hmm. um, you can, um, it will cost you $29. You can afford that. <laughs> yeah? Yep. And every month they get an hour's worth of videos. That's why I do my videos. Now, this is what they call a continuity program. Is it new? Of course it's not new. The book club, which was invented in 1930 by a man called Maxwell Sackheim right. and his partner, uh, is the same process. It's saying, I'll give you something, have a free book, or have a book very, very cheap, yeah. and we'll send you books every month until you tell us to stop sending. That's all. There's nothing new about it. That's 80 years ago, yeah? Yep. So... I'm doing the same thing. And what, what, when I used to work for book clubs, what were they interested in? They were interested in something called stamina. How long do people stay with you? The longer people stay with you, the better off you are. I don't care what you do. If you, let's suppose somebody is running a supermarket, yeah? Right. One of my clients, oddly enough, in Canada, in Toronto, near you, okay. they sell clothes, yeah? Right. What, 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 what do I want them to do? What am I trying to do for them? Or, I don't actually write the copy. I just review the copy. Funnily enough, the copy is written, believe it or not, by one of my copywriters who is in Finland. So I've, got, <laughs> I've got one copywriter in Finland, one who's in Canada some of the time and sometimes in England, uh, one in, uh, um, in, uh, down in, near London, this guy in Bulgaria. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all, village, all, all trying to follow the same discipline mm -hmm. of making people get interested, start, and stay with you as long as possible. So if our clothing uh, shop in, in Toronto, we want people to stay as long as possible and buy more clothes. If I had a supermarket account, which I did many years ago, what a nightmare. Yeah? <laughs> How could you put You walk past the supermarket. You see, or you see in the paper, you'll see lots of discount coupons, yeah? 
or you walk past the supermarket and you see an offer, yeah, and you go in. That's the incentive. That's the same as me saying, hey, here, get my free ideas, yeah? Uh -huh. And then you start to buy something, yeah? Uh -huh. And they want to keep you as long as possible. If they're smart, they try and find out about you, and they can do that at the cash register by looking at what you bought. And if they're really, really smart, they will then write to you somehow about the things you bought, yeah? Uh -huh. So there is no aspect of this business that is different. I, yesterday I had a call from a business school, and I've done a lot of work with business schools, and I have to say most of them don't have a clue about business. Right. No, <laughs> I agree. I, agree. <laughs> I saw a course for $40,000 a year from business school. There was nothing about selling. Um, yeah. It was, it was, yeah. I'm like, where, where do you learn how to sell? Where's, where's the... Where's the, the lesson on selling stuff? There was none of that. I couldn't believe well, it. business schools are hilarious. This lady, who's very smart, she was the marketing director of what was then the most expensive business school in the world. Uh, 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 it's a school called INSEAD, which is in Paris at Fontainebleau. And now she's, do, she's selling a petition, acting as marketing director for a, a course which is actually consisted of the... the a teaching course for people who teach in business school, yeah? <laughs> so what they've put together is they've put together some of the best professors and the people who teach can go there and learn how to teach, mm. yeah? That's, <laughs> so, yeah, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> Again, with a business school, what are you trying to do? You get people in, you, you sell them an MBA, uh, you know, then you want to sell them, you know, go until they buy another one, you know, and they become a professor. I don't care what it is. It really doesn't make any difference. It's, it, what I find fun about marketing is that you already asked a list of clients I've worked with. Well, I've worked with, I've worked with people selling comics that's featuring Peppa Pig. <laughs> I've worked with, uh, the, many years ago, I wrote advertisements for the Airbus, which cost... So the comics cost nothing. The Airbus cost billions, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm always looking for the same thing. I'm always looking for... And this is what you have to do to succeed. You have to look and say, OK, what is it that I can single out here that nobody else offers? And if somebody else does offer it, then the second best thing to do is to find a way of selling it which is better than the way other people sell things. Mm -hmm. And the way you're going to do that again is to say surprising things. So I remember, I don't even have the ads I wrote for the Airbus now, but I do remember somebody was interviewing me like you are now and said, so what do you say about the Airbus? So I said, well, the first thing you have to think about, <clears throat> apart from why somebody should buy something from you, is why somebody wouldn't buy something from you. Mm. What are the barriers to entry? The reason why long copy works, as a rule, better than short copy, is that in order for you to persuade somebody to do something, and this is not me, this is just a fact, this is, you, know, you have to tell them that thing, the reason why they should do it, at least three times. Mm. That was discovered by McGraw-Hill in research back in the 80s. Then you have to remember that they, they will also be thinking, here's why I shouldn't do it. So therefore you have to overcome every sensible objection they might have to doing what you want. You know? uh -huh. so in the case of the Airbus, I thought, well, I can tell you what, why people were not likely to buy it or might not buy it was because it only had two engines. Uh -huh. At that time, all jet planes had four engines. 
One of the things I focused on was explaining that literally you could turn one of the engines off and the plane would still fly okay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's always, it's always this thing of how do I overcome people's reluctance? How do I say it in a surprising way, you know? It's, it's very simple. I, I and the surprising way is because it helps get their attention. Is that correct? Because without their attention, you can't do anything. Is that because you keep mentioning the surprising fact, and it's not because the surprising fact sells. It's the fact that the surprising thing piques their curiosity and gets them involved. And now, with their attention intact, now you can start a story and start yeah. building. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. David Ogilvy's first book was um, Confessions of an Advertising Man. Mm-hmm. That works. Was it original? It was not original. Um, he was a Scots. He was Scottish, David. And mm-hmm. um, there's a famous Scottish novelist who wrote uh, a book called Confessions of a Justified Sinner mm. in the 19th century. He knew that. He, uh, that's the other thing that. In order for you to do well, you have to be well-read, you have to study, you have to keep your eye on things, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because you know, the creative process, uh, taking things that previously were unexpectedly, things that you would never think of putting together, yeah? Mm-hmm. And putting them together in surprising ways. So when somebody says confessions of an advertising man, what does that do? Well, it's a bit surprising. This man is confessing. Yep. Secondly, what are the confessions? And I can remember there was a, a, another friend of mine, or David, unfortunately, no, no longer. There's another friend of mine who was the chairman of J. Walter Thompson in Europe and then was on the board of Martin Sorrell's uh, business. And he wrote a book which he sent to me and the title was Behind the Scenes in Advertising. Mm-hmm. He said to me, David suggested that to me. I think we've got another internet connection problem. No, no, you're coming through okay. Okay. See, David suggested that to me. He said people always want to know secrets, something that they you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to know what they're not being told about. Yeah, they hope to be surprised. Let, let's take... The advertisement that made David uh, famous uh, for the Rolls Royce at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise in this Rolls new Rolls Royce electric clock. Now, there are a couple of things about that. First of all, that idea did not run a lot in the year that it came out. Secondly, Rolls Royce doubled during that year in the US. Yeah. Thirdly, uh, the idea was not original. Mm-hmm. He took that idea from a, from, a, from an ad for another car, which had appeared 30 years earlier. Really? Yeah. And if I didn't have such appalling memory, I'd tell you what it was. That's okay. But so he combined winning elements of something else. <laughs> he, he, the, literally, this other ad had... It was for the Pierce Arrow car, the Pierce Arrow car, which was a premium car like the Rolls-Royce in the 1920s and 30s. And it, it just had the line at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise in this car comes from the electric clock. That's the truth, yeah? Mm. Um, but what David did was he took it and he... The, the, the Pierce Arrow ad was just very short copy. Mm. David 
took it, did a more beautiful layout with a beautiful picture of a car, told the story completely, not just this one thing. thing of it. And it broke the bank. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that, very, that. very famous ad. I've written that ad out by hand three or four times, just as a practice in copywriting. Now, Dreen, I wanted to ask you something because this is something, and I, you've already kind of touched on it right now. Um, and even I, I think I mentioned it kind of at the beginning with the quote uh, from your book: "The purpose of business is to locate a prospect, to turn them into a customer, and then make them your friend." There's a concept uh, because they say since in, communication is so easy online. In the old days of print, you would mail a letter, and that letter had to do everything. It had to build rapport, it had to establish attention, or it had to get their attention, it had to build rapport, and it had to make the sale. People are talking more about, like, they call it like a sideways sales letter now, which is a stretched out process over time because it's so easy to send them an email and, to, you know, and just to communicate with people. It's so much cheaper and more cost effective that you're supposed to basically take what you would do in a sales letter and instead do it over a period of 10 to 20 days. Now, would you agree with that? I mean, you're, you're very active online. Even your daughter's very successful with her online marketing. Would you agree with that? Do you still need to sell every step of the way? How, like, you know, they used to say, what, print, it used to be 60 70% uh, content, 30 40% pitch. Some people say with online, it's supposed to be 80% content, you know, or 90% content, 10% pitch. How, what are your thoughts and feelings about that? Because you're right, there are a lot of universal uh, principles that do not change, and I just wanted to hear your insights on that as someone who's built a list of 50,000 people and has a daughter who's getting millions and millions and millions of impressions and followers. Um, what do you think on that? I think that one of my favorite quotes is from George Bernard Shaw, um, who said, uh, the golden rule, there is no golden rule. Right. <laughs> the golden another, rule is there is no golden rule. Another one of my favourites is from Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, who said um, he had a big influence on me. I read his history of Western philosophy when I was young, and it, um, and actually I live <laughs> my partner that I live with. She's a she's a PhD in philosophy. So <laughs> I like philosophy. Anyhow. Um, George Bertrand Russell said, uh, what men seek is not knowledge, certainty. Certainty. What men seek is not knowledge, but certainty. There is no bloody certainty. There is no golden rule. There is nobody who can say, oh, you, you, you must do it this way, not that way. It doesn't work that way. Life isn't like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um... My, let's take uh, another Canadian that I'm, whom I've never met but whom I've communicated with a lot um, and he uh, he does uh, Daniel Levis yeah mm-hmm. well he does a complete selling job in all his uh, emails in all his emails mm-hmm. and then does a very 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 complete selling job <laughs> mm. and in his, um, his his webinars um but that doesn't mean that he's, that's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take, um, I'm trying to think, there's a guy, there was a guy in, um, I'm very names, there's a guy in California who died young, who was a brilliant advertising man. Corey Rudolph. 
No, no, no. Um, it will come to me. Um, and he used to write ads, and he would he would literally end the ad halfway through a sentence. <laughs> and he, if you drop me a line, I'll remind, I'll let you know who it was. Um, a friend of mine's made it. Well, a guy I trained actually, uh, who done very very well. Um, Harrison uh, made a film about this guy um, and he did a very good presentation at one of my seminars because one of the other things I do is I run seminars uh, you know face to face relatively few delegates he talked about this guy and he this guy believed that you're having a conversation <coughs> with the prospect uh, and that if you were interesting enough though your prospect would would like to continue the conversation. Mm. Um, And so he would go away. You can't... What you can only say to people is you can say, here are some universal truths. It is universally true that you have to find a prospect, turn that prospect into a customer, and then get them to like you so much that they'll recommend you to other people. Mm. Yeah? Mm. Um, that's always true, but there may be many ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I'm the one thing that most people. I'm, I don't think I'm particularly talented, but I tell you what, I study like hell. Yeah? I'm 79. I'm still learning. Yeah? Um, and the day you learn, stop learning, is the day you might just as well crawl into your little box and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, so. My daughter used to live in a suburb of New York called Montclair, and I used to go over there four or five times a year to see her <coughs> because I'm not, I don't live with her mother. She couldn't stand me, and I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going, catching the bus to Montclair one day, and I passed a pole, and on the pole was one of these little signs that people put on poles, and it said... We pay the best money for houses. Call this number. Yeah? Right. Underneath it, there was another, actually, no, above it, there was another very similar little note in black. It said, we pay more than them. (laughs) That's so sneaky. Um, I'm looking all the time for ideas. So at that time, I was doing a, a... speech or a seminar or some damn thing <laughs> and I was looking for a good example of guerrilla marketing and I said this is what guerrilla marketing is it's, it's when you you catch people with this element of surprise you know this is it it's like the guy who leaps out from behind the bush <laughs> yeah but it's also helping like with that it, you know with that little ad I love that example because with his ad he built off his competitor's ad, but it was almost like they were there in person because that's really right. That I mean, yeah. it's salesmanship. Marketing is salesmanship in print, and if these were two sales reps at a conference in the hallway talking to a prospect, and the guy was like, yeah, you know, we buy – what was it, buy houses? Forgive me. I just brain fart. It was we buy houses, right? That was what we were saying, and then yeah. the – you know, and 
he would have just countered and said, yeah, but we'll pay you more. We pay more than they do. And that's a simple thing that two sales reps would have done or two representatives for a company would have done if instead of standing in front of the prospect. And he still did it, but he had he had the – I don't know what the word is, but he had the – he was resourceful enough or he was just – he was just smart, you know. He was smart enough to just have it done and to make sure that the ad was placed on the same page and just to one up his competitors. He could, you know, his ad probably was half the space, right? Didn't need all that. He just was, what, well, they weren't half. They were literally. It was a pole by the side of the road. Yeah. Oh. A tiny little, very small, maybe six inches by four inches. Yep. So it was just a yeah, just on a pole, two signs on a pole, and he just one up his competitor. So yeah. I want to make sure for the listeners that they try and think about this because it's really simple. It's a really simple principle, but you know, both of us expressed, and you've got way more credibility behind you. Obviously, I've like I said, I've, I've I know some things, but just fact that it doesn't have to be so complicated. That it really is. It's about getting people's attention. Um, what do you think about the whole inbound versus outbound marketing? Because that's we're talking about online marketing. That's a big thing as well. Some people they're like against paid advertising and ads, and they think it should all be inbound, which um, is just basically content-based marketing. That's content makes me roll with laughter. And I would say, did somebody tell me when the people were running ads without content? Right. Did, what did they do? Did they have empty pages? Right. Did you run commercials with no, you know, nothing happened? Yeah. You've always needed content. What happens in this business, I can tell you this, because I've been watching it for 50-odd years. Every now and then, somebody comes up with a new phrase or a new word and says, this is the secret. You, oh, you need content. You always have content. Mm-hmm. You know? the, 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 the techniques may change. The media may change. But the principles never change. Uh, to me, going back to say John Caples, uh, one of the, the great godfathers of the advertising business, uh, was interviewed in the Wall Street Journal uh, in the late 70s when I was starting my agency. And somebody said, and he asked him about, you know, asking for a reply. Mm-hmm. And Caples said, look, when people have read your copy, they want to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Tell them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To say that you can have, that I've seen the Content Marketing Institute, um, I've been amused by it to some extent. I'm very, I think it's great. If you've got any time you want to make a bit of money, if you can find the right subject, just start something that ends with the word institute, yeah? Right, right. <laughs> I, can tell, I know this because I did it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, in 1969, I bought a newsletter called the Business Ideas Letter. And I immediately started the Small Business Institute. <laughs> I thought, hey, that's much better than just a newsletter. This is an institute, that's you know. Right. Then you can, like, you can start selling qualifications. Now you can get qualified in all kinds of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just because some guy said, I'm an institute. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not saying that they don't have good stuff. I'm not saying the content thingamajig doesn't have good stuff. Yep. I'm saying that some of the stuff they say. It's rubbish to say, oh, just tell people all about it, but don't ask them to do anything. Yeah, you have to. At the end of the day, you have to ask people to buy. Well, I mean, I send a sales. I send a salesman out. This is. I'm going to. I've got a door-to-door salesman. I used to run a sales force, so I've done everything badly. Um, so I send a 
Oh, and I say, by the way, um, number one, don't spend more than three minutes talking to these people. Right. <laughs> because they might get bored. Yeah? Right. I don't say that. I say, go in there and don't bloody well come out until they've thrown you out or you've made a sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or when I say, go in there and talk to them gently for a while, but don't ask for a sale. Yep. Ma va fanculo, as they say. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. It's insane. Yep. Yep. Uh, no. Yes, you're very, very clever. You can get away with not going for a sale, but you've got to be so clever. Yep. Well, and, you know, and honestly, I think it's a lot of people just procrastinating or avoiding what they feel. And this might even, again, this is part of why I loved even what you said, that, you know, you should be, where's my note there? That 80% of your time should be focused on who your who and why they want what you've got because that's where the money comes from because a lot of people feel guilty about asking for the money but if you're providing something you know that really helps people there should be no guilt in what you're offering and if you understand your prospects and what they're struggling through like if I have a relative or a loved one who's suffering from arthritis and I know that this product will help them with their arthritis I've got no guilt about it you just like look just spend the money you need it right when you when you call up a friend and ask them to go see a movie it's not like hey do you got 30 bucks it's hey let's go see the movie it's all about the end result you know and so I think some people they, they're shy and they feel bad about asking for money because they're looking at like they're they're coming from their point of view because they know they want the money and they feel guilt for wanting to take something from someone right because they're not supposed to want that as opposed to seeing how this will help the other person and seeing the other person's actually stuck and really needs help and support in that way and just really being focused on you know are you going to be happy if you don't get this right like are you you know, like if you just stay there with your back pain and you don't try these exercises or you don't get this gym pass or, you know, you don't get a better diet, are you still like, you know, your life is just going to maintain the path that's on right now and just well, coming at it from a different perspective. I, I have a friend called uh, Clayton Makepeace. And I'm, um, I know Clayton. I think was one of the first people to interview me, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what he said afterwards? He said, I feel as though I've just been speaking to the Pope, which is very kind of him. Um, <laughs> bearing in mind that I'm not a Catholic. <laughs> um, no, but, but he's very religious. He's very, very religious. Clayton. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the copy that Clayton wrote, um, you will see that one of his great skills was is asking for the order. Mm. Curiously enough, Daniel Levis, whom I mentioned, um, one of his great skills is asking for the order. And both of them, and Daniel worked for for Clayton before he started on his own, I think, um, both of them lay a great deal of stress on, on incentives to reply and the value of the incentives to reply. And I, well, I was doing something with Daniel is the only person actually that I've promoted at all. Um, I don't know how it happened, to be honest. I just thought it was pretty good. Uh, I'm busy rewriting one of my books. There's a book which is out of the How to Write a Sales Letter That Sells. Mm-hmm. And I've got to put some stuff in about, about the, um, in online, you know. Mm-hmm. So Daniel to write what his views. And he's very, very good, and he really, really focuses heavily on what he does. And the last time he was promoting something, I watched what he was doing. So when you promote something, um, 
you get try and get people to to sign on. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? The minute they register, he then says, "Here, I've got lots and lots of free things for you." Yeah. Mm-hmm. How can that be a bad thing? Right. It's, it's giving people a pleasant surprise, but he was overridingly intent upon number one offering lots of incentives so that once they've registered, they actually turn up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the, the the in each stage of the process of persuasion, gaining people's attention, getting them interested, convincing them that it's wonderful and they should fall in love with it, proving that what you say is true, so on and getting action, if you miss any of those out, um, you're in trouble. And most people miss out most of them. It's, uh, I, I have to say, having sounded off as though I'm an expert, that I don't look at my stuff and think, oh, isn't that wonderful? Right. Uh, I usually look at my stuff. I'll go through a brief moment after I've written it, and I think that's pretty good. And then when I go back to it, I'll look at it and think, oh, God, I... I should have done, yeah, I should have done so and so, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you've given some really good and practical advice that people can implement now. So first of all, one of the things that I said is, you know, the purpose of marketing is to get people's attention and to build a relationship with them with the intent to have a long-term business relationship. I think that's really good because we talk a lot on my show about lifetime customer value and about how that's important to your business and to your marketing, how it gives you a competitive advantage over people in your industry and your competitors, how it allows you to spend more on marketing, that the focus isn't necessarily on you know, spending less on your marketing, but being able to afford to spend more. Um, I really like your focus on the relationship building because I'm, you know, no one I bring on the show, we never talk about get-rich-quick schemes. We talk about real, pragmatic, business-building stuff, and everyone knows the business needs long-term, like you need repeat customers. You know, the vast majority of businesses need repeat customers to have sustainability in their business because the first sale can be so hard to get. Once you have that relationship, I think I love your focus on maintaining it, how that's important. I also love how, like you went talked about uh, your continuity program, that, you know, you get people, it's a very low-risk offer. You come in, you, you know, you're connecting with them personally on your website. You've got your photo of your face because, you know, we're trained to look at faces. You offer them something free because there's so low risk to that. And now you prove yourself through delivering value via your email sequence. And then after they've had enough value, say, hey, did you like this? If you would like more, you know, I've got my continuity program and it's only $29 a month. Um, and you send them an hour video every month. And it's, you know, for a lot of these people, it's peanuts, right? Um, well, it's very interesting, actually, because um, I didn't finish saying this. The last time I went into it, I discovered that the average stamina, the length of time uh-huh. that stay in a continuity program, is between three and four months. Uh, people stay with the program that I'm talking about for nine months. Uh-huh. Um and it goes on for 28 months. I've just finished recording the 28th month. And one of my partners said, when are you going to finish getting all the way up to 36 months? <laughs> I said, leave me alone, I'm an old man. <laughs> but it, it's, it's interesting that I think to do to do a good job as a marketer, you have to know a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. And I find every time I'm 
doing these things, um, there's something else I can talk about. But a lot of it's just um, taking particular things that have done well or taking things that have done badly and commenting on why they've done well or why they've done badly. Uh, last week, a guy, believe this is a strange business, a guy in Ireland who sells coffee sent me something because he started writing copy besides selling coffee. Uh, his name is William Davenport, and he said, he said, I've got this client who's written this letter. What do you think of it? Well, the client was a guy who was in the oil business in Oklahoma, and it was a long letter. And he said, what do you think? And I said, you know something, William, I'm going to review this letter. So I spent, I think, 38 minutes going through this letter bit by bit and saying, this is why it's bloody great, you know? Mm. So that's what I try to do in terms of, well, Einstein said, uh, <coughs> example is not only a way to teach, it is the only way to teach. Um, so what I try and do is take examples, say why they're good or why they're bad, tear them apart, um, and then people can see that, how the principles work. So that's what that's what that program is about, the, the Art Straighten program. Apart from the fact that people ask me questions, they surprisingly not as many as I expected do, but they'll ask questions about very often because they're starting businesses or they're wondering what to do with their businesses uh, and I've seen more businesses than you've had hot dinners um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know what you should do but I normally know in fact David Ogilvy once introduced me at a garden party to somebody and he said this is Drayton Bird he knows what works in advertising and I, <laughs> and I said David that's very kind of you but it's not true but I normally know what won't work Right, right, right. Well, even Thomas Edison said that. He said, I didn't figure out the light bulb. I just ran out of wrong things to do. And I think that, again, talking about the solid, pragmatic, timeless principles that will work for any business in any industry is measuring your marketing because if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And if you can't manage it, you can't grow it. So we talked about that, how, you know, things like AdWords, it forces you to track. And just by tracking and watching, you'll obviously improve. Again, building the relationship, focusing on the who more than the what. You know, you are going to focus on what you're selling, but 80% of your focus should be on the who and that you're constantly just looking to, to build that relationship and to create more back-end offers, I imagine, and that at least on the front end and in your marketing or anytime you're trying to get their intention, you want to focus on the benefits, the three things you mentioned, the benefit, the humanity, and the surprise. The benefit being what's in it for them or what's what it's going to do for them, the humanity, making it personalized, making it as close to a one-on-one -on -one conversation as you can. And the surprise is just to pique their interest, to get their curiosity, and to get them away from wherever else. Because like you said, nobody wakes up and says, oh, I can't wait to watch all these commercials today, right, or read this ad. <laughs> so you need some way to snap them out of their day-to-day -day kind of routine um, and get them focused on what you've got. And then, obviously, get into your story and express. You said the best way oh, – I took a note here um, – so basically you want to look, what is it, um, what 
Right. So you want to look at your market or your product and say, what can I single out here that no one else offers? Because that would make it unique and relevant. And that one differentiator might be what some others are looking for and would pick me over my competitors. And if other people are doing what you do and the way you do it, then how can you sell it better? And you said usually it starts with saying surprising things, which means getting the attention on your business yourself and just telling the story better. So those are all really good time tests. I loved how you said for someone to persuade you, you have they have to tell you at least three times that's a really that was for me was insightful because i think for a lot of people whether they're selling in person or they're selling on a webinar if they they're they might be afraid to press on i've heard before with sales like you get at least three no's and now i understand why that is i never knew the reason why but i also know now at least in my marketing that i need to make sure that not only are we asking them what to do but we want to make sure that we're we're, we're asking them multiple times even in the same sales letter um because if you just ask once, right, obviously that's not going to be enough. This is really good in the retention part. Now, well, no, and I guess the rest of it is just arithmetic, isn't it? The rest of it is just trying to add up the costs and the expenses and running small tests and seeing what works, what doesn't work, and improve and just keep moving forward and making gradual improvements. I spend a lot of time looking at the numbers. Um, I... Um, I'm just spending at the moment um, £250 every day on getting names. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the moment, we're, one of my guys right now is going through all the numbers to see if I should spend more every day. So I'm, I'm, I want to know, okay, how much is it costing me to get a name? How many of those names convert into customers? How long do those customers stay with me? So if I spend, and I'll tell you for nothing, I plan to spend about £50,000 in the next three or four months, yeah, on getting names. I mean, I don't have a big business, so it's, you know, but it's a reasonable amount of money. So I want to know, how long is it going to take me to get that £50,000 back? Uh-huh. How long? And the only way I can do that is by knowing what people are likely to buy, when they're likely to buy it, and by thinking, is there anything else they would like that I can offer them? Because the more I can offer them that they would like, the faster I get my money back. Uh-huh. You, this is one of the reasons why good marketing is the best investment you can make. You think about it, I can tell you that I worked out last night lying in bed because I'm a sad person um, that if I put £50,000 in at the rate of £250 a day, I will get my money back um, or certainly break even after about five months. Yeah? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, as an investment, yes. I can basically say that I can keep on doubling my money yep yeah you can't do that with any stocks any bonds yeah i just put it into i mean my partner whom i mentioned she's in the investment business and everyone knows that the secret of successful investment uh, the miraculous ingredient is reinvesting your dividends yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's all i'm talking about i'm saying this is my money i'm going to put my money in because if i don't put my money in it's sitting there doing absolutely nothing for me Mm -hmm. yeah Put my money in. 
turn it round, turn it round, put it in, put it in, put it in. It's a phenomenal investment. Good marketing is a phenomenal investment, but only if you can count your results. Mm, so yeah. well said. Drayton, is there anything that I sh- didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Is there anything that, yeah, that I missed out on? Not really. I mean, I can, as you can gather, I can talk for England. Um, <laughs> Me too. It's okay. <laughs> if anybody is interested in finding out more, just go to DraytonBird.com. Yes. Click, uh, go and have a look at the wrinkled face of the old gentleman on the top right. <laughs> and think, hey, 51 helpful ideas. How can that do me any harm? Mm-hmm. And also, whatever you do, you should get the book that you can download there, 48 Pages of Distilled Wisdom um, from Claude Hopkins, the greatest marketing man that ever lived. He, he launched more products than... You've had hot dinners. That guy was getting paid the equivalent of what today would be $2.5 million a year just for writing copy in 1904. That's how good he was. Yep, 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 which is huge, 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 huge. Go and have a look at the book and get the book and get the ideas and... God bless you all. Yeah. Well, no, and that's that's something. The book you don't own, you can't read, and the book you don't read can't help you. Um, <laughs> so I'm a huge advocate for for telling people that. And so everyone that's listening, that's Drayton, D-R-A-Y-T-O-N-B-I-R-D, Drayton Bird. Again, um, phenomenal marketer. Drayton, I'm so – I just appreciate the value and the wisdom and the clarity because when you really understand something and you master it, you can make it really simple. A lot of people get caught up in tactics and color buttons and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it really is just about understanding people and it's not it's not about doing triple backflips, you know, and all these super fancy techniques. It's about understanding who your customers are and what their problems are and what your value is offered to them is and just testing stuff, throwing it on the wall but measuring it and knowing your numbers. And I think I really think that if people listen to this interview a couple of times, especially if they're just starting out, more and more and more will emerge from our conversation where they just little simple things that when they go, you know, and they go through their business life and their career, that it's just, it will keep them focused. That's why I love that quote so much because I feel like if I just focus on that, that if I just, my goal, right, the goal of business is to find a prospect, turn them into a customer and make them your friend. I Like, how am I going to go wrong? You know, and it's just such a simple process a simple path and part of people are like wondering well okay your friend how's that how does that relate well we already talked a bit about making uh, further or more and more offers to them so not just selling them one thing but having a relationship with them where you know they say you've got friends for a reason friends for a season and friends for life and if someone is your friend for the reason of paying you for a product or service or knowledge on a specific topic as long as they are your friend they will continue to be your friend for that reason they will continue to pay you money for that purpose. You know, I do CrossFit. I'm a very active guy. And the friends I have at CrossFit, they're not my friends I go drinking with. They're not my friends I go travel with. They're my friends for that reason. And so I think that's why I love that quote so much. And, again, just with some of the other timeless classic – sorry, the timeless tips and classic advice you've given us here, I think it's really, really, really good time invested for everyone that's been uh, on this call. So, again – 
please go check out DraytonBird.com, D-R-A-Y-T-O-N-B-I-R-D.com. And if you don't have a copy of his book, Common Sense Direct Marketing for, uh, and Digital Marketing, uh, you really need to get it. It's been a bestseller for 34 years for a reason. And again, the book you don't own, you can't read. And the book you don't read can't help you. Drayton, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here today. Um, thank you for just blazing a trail for the rest of us to follow. Um, and just thank you for being willing to share your, your wisdom and experience with us. My pleasure. My pleasure, Daryl. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give to them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. And your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, you're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.